Hang on, I'm switching. Were you in a blizzard? There was a random snowstorm, which doesn't usually happen here. So, so it, um, hang on a second. My son's calling me. I turned it off. Can you hear now? Okay. Mm -hmm. So if I have to jump up, I tell my I tell my wife Connie all day. I prep her. I have a live show at 10, at 11, whatever. Do not call because when you call, it blows it up. Is she going to call me? Yeah, she's going to call me every time. So I'm used to kids jumping up. I had your um, friend, Catholic Caritas, on here and her kids screaming. I've got, <laughs> I've got kids. So how in the world did you become a all? Uh, Man, I don't want to offend you, but I've always wanted to go to Oregon or Washington bad. I want to go bad, really yeah. bad. And everyone around here, when I say that, they say, why in the world would you go to that den of iniquity? I mean, it's like New Orleans times 100. So how, do you, yeah. how does one <laughs> become a civilized Christian Catholic in Oregon? Um, the super hard way. Um, yeah, so I did, I grew up in Portland, which is super, um, progressive and, um, I, my mom is from a big Catholic family. She's one of 12 kids. She's number six of 12, but she was sort of like the wild child. Mm -hmm. And so she, um, she kind of left the faith and did her own thing. She met my dad. They had me. They never got married. They split up by the time I was three. And we lived in like an Ananda Marga community, which is like women wearing orange saris and um, meditating. And it was vegan. And Dude, um, stuff. all this stuff here. Yeah. Meditation That's, times yeah. and things like you that. You grew up like a hippie? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. And my mom was a preschool teacher there. Um, and we lived with them, um, just because my mom was super poor and she just had me. And so we lived with them there. Um, but my grandparents were still, I mean, parents of a big Catholic family. And so we, I still, I still was like exposed to um, the faith and stuff. I still always went to, I mean, we went to Christmas mass and Easter and stuff like that. So those little, like those things were there. And I always, um, and I remember from a young age wishing that I, we could be like my cousins or like, um, any of that and just be normal and like live in the suburbs. And I, I remember wishing that maybe not having the words for it, but wishing that we could kind of, but that wasn't. So, um, my mom ended up marrying my stepdad and um, he um, he provided some like stability um, and at around and my mom around age, I think when I was 10, had a sudden like reversion and started decide and decided like that we need we all needed to go to mass. She was like, you and you need to get baptized and 
um, all of that. So it wasn't until I was 10 that I was baptized, actually. Out of the blue, this happened just out of nowhere? Well, yeah, it seemed that way at the time, but in later I was like, oh, the timing of it made sense. So, um, so she did that. My stepdad actually came into the church too. We started going, um, uh, to mass on Sundays and stuff. And, um, I, it, it never, it didn't, it wasn't very much of like a culture shock or anything because we had always sort of like popped in over the years, um, but I, at age 10, because I had, was only being brought in then, they decided that I could be baptized. Um, I had my baptism and first communion, reconciliation, and confirmation all at once when I was 10. What does a 10-year-old have to, I mean, really? I wonder what yeah. that's like, a 10-year-old. Yeah, well, I don't. I stole a Barbie doll, you know. I don't even have a memory of it. I think I said, like, oh, I, you know, I don't always listen to my mom and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, things like that. Or I, you know, this or that. Or sometimes I don't do my chores or whatever it was. I don't know. But, um, but I, in retrospect, though, 10 years old is like too young to be confirmed. So I didn't learn. I didn't know a lot of stuff. Um, mm. I don't like I think my catechism, because I was so young, like was mostly like coloring pictures of Jesus and things like that. Like it wasn't I wasn't taught like kind of like really basic things about the faith that um, I'm sure they just assumed that I knew, but that I really didn't know. What? So. Oh. When I was 10, my dad died when I was 10. And my mom, I don't want to dishonor her, but she um, had some mental illnesses that um, she was dealt. And we grew up in the Baptist church. I mean, one block down the alley. We'd walk down the alley to church. Hey, have it had it been a Hindu temple? That's probably where. I mean, we just went to the church on the corner. Yeah. All I knew was uh, Jesus died for me and that I could pray. That was all my theology at 10. Yeah. That's normal, right? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. So my mom actually, she has some mental illnesses. Um, she, so shortly after we came into the church and stuff, she had her first sort of bipolar episode and um, was, so in retrospect, I'm like, well, that was a great grace that she had that. It was like the Holy Spirit was like, you know, got us in there before she kind of like really fell apart. Um, and I guess God just knew that I would need the sacraments then. Um, because after that, it was super chaotic. Um, my mom's mental illness, like she, um, her bipolar was like pretty extreme. She was checked into um, a mental institution, basically. And the first time she was there, maybe for a couple of weeks, and then she came back and she was kind of like a little bit stable and a little bit off. But I always knew she wasn't quite like 
stable. And a lot of her mental illness was directed towards me. So I went from having a mom who I thought like, you know, she was always sort of fragile, but she, you know, I knew she loved me and stuff to having a mom who like, she would like take my school pictures and like deface them and like draw stuff on like all kinds of stuff. And I really thought, I think at age 10, I just couldn't, or I might've been a little older than like 12 or something, but I couldn't, um, I just didn't understand well enough to know. I thought she just hated me. Mm -hmm. Um, and my stepdad didn't really quite know how to deal with it either or how to deal with any of it. So those years were, I don't know, difficult trying. Um, and then I got to high school and that was hard too. And so, and my mom, got sort of like worse. Um, she has MS too. So her, the combination of the two, we weren't quite sure if it was like the lesions on her brain or what. Anyway, she, um, ended up living with my aunt and uncle because my mom was kind of like in and out. And, um, so just not a lot of stability and, and it, and my aunt and uncle lived kind of far away and I ended up not doing well in school and leaving high school and deciding to finish in, um, community college. Mm-hmm. And so during that whole time, I really didn't think about God at all. I didn't think about going to mass or anything like that. I was like, you know, I had my like high school boyfriend. I ended up living with him um, and just kind of like getting by. I was like, I really struggled with depression though, really. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I don't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know anything. Was you getting any help from your doctor when you were going through all this? No, no. Um, I think in high school they had been like, we think you're depressed and we want to help you. And I was just like, I'm not, I'm not taking medication. And no, um, I'm, I'm the opposite. I want the pills. <laughs> Even those pills. I did I not. I did not want. Yeah. I'll want try that one and that one and that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, like when you um, were in, okay, so I'm trying to understand everything. So, you're in Oregon, your mother's, I, I've been, I, I grew up like, just like you probably, maybe probably yeah. worse. But I'm thinking in Oregon, was your, was your, um, was your support, where you left school, and you really weren't going to mass at that time. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, my family was like, we have such a big family, too, that it's like we're not, we weren't super, super close to so there's so many of us. Not that they weren't loving or caring. They just, um, there's just so, you, so many found, of us. Found a guy. And yeah, so I lived with like my boyfriend. Her. He was, um, a really sweet boyfriend. He, you know, he probably would have married me, but I was like, no, I don't want to. I was rebellious. And I was, um, I also grew up going to like super progressive woke schools and like believed all of that stuff. So like, every, so I was taught all this stuff that was completely contradictory to the church's teaching. Because where you live right now, I mean, yeah. people here, I mean, there there's people here begging God for earthquakes just to break that whole end of the country off. And I, I know. lived out there for years. Yeah. 
he's like we are, but he said, Dad, you watch the news too much, you know. But, you know, just my thought of your childhood, I mean, if you say. No, I feel like a total victim of like that kind of like woke progressive ideology because I really believed all of it. And I went to schools where they were like, well, it doesn't really, you don't need grades. I went to like hippie art schools that were like, you don't need grades. You can just, um, you know, we'll just do study what you feel like. And if you don't want to do math, then you don't have to do math. So when I got to school, I was just like, when when I got to real high school, that was like a, um, it was like an Ivy League prep school. And I was completely in over my head. I didn't know how to do most of the stuff because I just hadn't like, you know, I'd really excelled in certain areas, but other ones, I, they were like, oh, that's fine. You know, there wasn't a lot of accountability or anything like that. Um, and I also was taught all kinds of things about like, I don't know. I honestly didn't know. Um, I don't know. I just didn't know anything. So I lived with that. Um, yeah. So I, um, so I just started kind of, I wasn't, I actually didn't, wasn't into like drinking or partying or anything like that when I was in high school, but, um, I ended up breaking up with that high school boyfriend because I met like a very exciting boyfriend in one of my classes who was like every, all the wrong things, like really into like partying and drugs and he was really cool. And, um, I just like fell head over heels for him and like kind of, um, started sort of spiraling with him. Um, he was a mess and he was doing like some really hard drugs and I, I don't know, I, I like thought I could save him. I like also just, I don't know. I was really always looking for love, just like in all the wrong places. And um, about that, yeah. Mm. So we ended up um, living together in this tiny little apartment, and I, and just doing. You know, I had no idea about. I didn't even know you were supposed to be chased or anything like that. I I was just like, this is. I just thought that's what everybody did. They just lived with their boyfriends and did whatever. And I ended up getting pregnant at 19 and, um, and I didn't know my, and at the time my boyfriend was strung out on heroin and I was just a mess. And I, and everybody around me just told me like, well, just, you'll just get an abortion. Like you're too young to have, uh, you're too young to have a baby. And I was like, yeah, I'm not, I didn't feel equipped at all. I also, this is where like some of the really basic things I didn't know, like I didn't know that I was like made in the image and likeness of God. I didn't, I had bought into all of that sort of like materialist, like, I, I was just sort of confused. I was like vague about when life began. I didn't know that I was like, yeah, I didn't know we were made in the image and likeness of God. I didn't know that we were like loved. I didn't know, I didn't know any of that stuff. So I'd never even crossed it, there was such cognitive dissonance that it didn't even occur to me that getting an abortion was like, was wrong, really. I didn't know. I just thought, okay, so you can be like, how could you be Catholic and think that? But I never heard anybody talk about abortion um, in the pews growing up or anything like that. It just never even came up. And everybody around me just sort of was like, yeah, that's what you'll do. And it's, you know, whatever. So 
if I had any misgivings about it, though, I don't remember having them. And I just thought, okay, that's, that's what I'll do. And so I went to the doctor and made, um, there was a clinic here downtown. It was called the Downtown Women's Center. And I went there and made the appointment. And I was like, as early as you could have one. In fact, I think they said that I had to come back because it wasn't, I wasn't far along enough yet. Um, and so I did. And I came, I went there, my best friend came with me. And the whole time I was just sort of like numb and it never occurred to me that I was like, it just never occurred to me what I was doing. I just sort of was like, oh, just a blob of cells, whatever. Um, and I, um, so when I got in for my appointment, the doctor who did it was the mother of one of my school classmates. And so I just, so every step along the way, it just was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, and my mother who was, you know, she had her own struggles and stuff. She had been like, okay, yeah, that's what you'll do. Um, I just didn't have any voices around me saying otherwise or, or I, you know, I don't know. So I had an abortion and I went home and I just remember feeling like this devastating darkness, like come over my heart, but I still didn't understand that why I didn't know. And everyone told me like, Oh, it's just hormones. You know, it's the same as if you'd had like, you know, a, a miscarriage or something. So once the hormones level out, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But I really didn't, I didn't feel fine. I, I was, um, I felt like a hole had opened up in my chest and like, but I didn't know, but I honestly didn't know why. And didn't, I did not connect it to that. I just thought there was, there must be something wrong with me because everyone had told me that that was like healthcare. And so, and I believed that. And you know, being in Portland and all of the, I just didn't see anything else. So like, so I just thought, okay, well, there must just be something wrong with me. Um, and I was also having had sort of depression and had issues like growing up. It wasn't not, I was sort of used to feeling bad, like all it, like I just, so I felt worse and I felt like a hole in my chest, but I didn't, and I, but I couldn't, I was in such a like fog. I couldn't quite figure out what it was or why. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I ended up that relationship with that boyfriend ended up like you know falling apart after some time, and I ended up living moving to Los Angeles and working in fashion. Um, and in LA, I. Um, I had all of the, all of the cool friends and all of the, um, Hollywood parties. And I was working on some kind of high-end fashion, um, print shoots and, um, you know, red carpet stuff and things like that. I had an internship with a really well-established, um, stylist and, So I had like all of the things I had like a cool job and I had enough, you know, plenty of money and I had cool friends and went to cool parties and stuff, but I was really, really miserable still. And I was really, um, so I would, 
party too much and drink too much and do too many drugs. And um, I, my drinking and drug use got and and promiscuity got out of control. Um, and I ended up being strung out on opiates. And I slowly kind of like lost everything. So I lost my like, um, uh, I just stopped being able to function. And so, um, yeah, so I stopped being able to like function very well. And so I was missing jobs and missing work and things like that. And stuff started, started spiraling and I ended up just being like, kind of like, giving up on everything that like ache in my chest never went away mm-hmm. and it was always there no matter how much I did or how many cool friends I had or how many parties I went to or how much shopping I did nothing filled that so I um and at the time so I had an my family's from California and so while I was in LA I would um occasionally have to meet with one of my not have to but my one of my aunts is was a nun a sister of St. Joseph mm-hmm. um and in Los Angeles, she was my great aunt, my grandmother's sister. And so in my mess, she would invite me to breakfast and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> like I would always try to cancel on her because I'd always be hungover and be a mess and not want to go. And she'd be like, no, you're coming. And she'd get me and we'd go and we'd just have breakfast and talk. And I didn't really think anything of it at the time. But I, um, but later the impact of that kind of like showed up. So I, um, I continued to sort of spiral. I started selling all of my designer stuff and I ended up deciding, okay, well, I'll go back to Portland and I'll move in. I'll move back with my mom and kind of like get my life together. And then I'll come back, um, to LA back to my life there. I thought, um, I just need to like have some time and get sober and like figure out what I'm doing. And I went back to Portland. And instead of getting my life together, I just spiraled and got like a lot worse. And I didn't want to tell anybody where I was. So I was isolating. I didn't want to tell my friends that I'd come back from LA because I felt like I had like my tail between my legs, kind of like, oh, I failed and I'm a mess. And so I came back and I didn't tell anybody and I just sort of hit out. And the only people that I connected with then were drug dealers. And I, um, and I just sort of like got worse, um, got worse and worse. I got to the point where I was just living um, with drug dealers and against my, um, um, I, it's like, I could see my life getting worse and worse and worse, but I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know how to stop. Um, so I ended up being in pretty like scary situations with, some pretty bad guys who were drug dealers and um, ended up getting pregnant. Um, And it was definitely, I had just so much, at that point I had decided, I'd come to the understanding like, so after I'd had that abortion when I was 19, I swore to myself, I just knew in my heart, I still didn't connect it, but I was like, I still didn't recognize the humanity of the unborn, but I knew that I would never have another abortion. I knew, I was like, I'm never doing that again. That was horrible. Um, and so I, when I, so I ended up getting pregnant with my son, um, with a drug dealer. I had nothing at that point. I had like given up everything. I, I had, I owned my car, but I had just like, 
no money. I had cut myself off from everybody who loved me and who would and who I talked to. I was completely mm-hmm. had isolated myself. And so I did, and I didn't know how to stop using drugs at that point. I was just like a mess. And so I stopped. Um, I didn't want to tell anybody that I was pregnant because I was so ashamed that I had been like sort of coerced into this situation. I didn't want to be in. I was worried. Um, I didn't know how to stop using drugs. I didn't know what resources to have. I had so much shame that I didn't want to like ask for help either. So I just sort of like hid out and I like, I knew somehow I had this inner peace of like, somehow I knew everything was going to be okay, but I didn't know how. And on the outside, you couldn't see that. Like it was just a mess, but I, for some reason I just was like, okay, something will happen and something's going to be, somehow this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I ended up being like kind of just stuck and I was sort of like held hostage by drug dealers, not hostage, but they were pretty abusive. They would take away keys and my phone and stuff like that and just keep me mm-hmm. isolated. And I was pregnant. So I just, being, like, being I yeah. So I didn't know what to do. And I just stayed, I would stay in these random hotel rooms and stuff and just be there. Um, and I knew, I knew it was a mess and I knew, but I didn't, I just didn't know what to do. Um, and so I ended up getting more and more pregnant. And finally it was time for me to have my son. I had done no prenatal care. I had done nothing. I had tried to stop using drugs. So I'd like cut down to like a very tiny amount, just enough to like not be sick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just sort of like closed my eyes and was like hoping for everything to go away. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. it, and it didn't, um, of course, because it was time to have him. And so I just got dropped off at a hospital by drug dealers um, by myself. And when I went in, I just told the nurses everything. I just told them the truth. I told them, you know, I didn't, I'd been hiding. I didn't know because it was like, at that point I had to face the reality of what it was. Um, and so I went into the delivery room to have him. And then I finally called my mom and told her that I not only was I pregnant, but I was in labor and having a child. And she called the rest of my family. Um, I just hung up the phone, didn't think anything of it. She called the rest of my family. <laughs> so I'm a mess. I've been isolated now for like several years, like in sort of abusive situations, not really. I'd lost sort of touch with who I was or what was happening or anything like that. I knew in my heart the whole time I was pregnant that it was a boy and that I was having him. And I knew that his name was Raphael. Um. And I didn't know why I knew that, but I did. I should have worn so, my Ninja Turtles tank top. <laughs> you know, no, I would. I think I was think I was thinking like of the Archangel and of the art, yeah. the Renaissance artist. I don't know. I just was like, I just, what I just had cool known name. that that was his name. That's a cool name. Yeah. So anyway, I but I had a lot of like just obviously I was living in a lot of cognitive dissonance of like what I was going to do or what was happening. I just sort of like, I I just didn't know. But when I had him, obviously, so DHS got involved. um, The department of human services came and they were like, you know, you can't, you don't have anywhere to go and you're not healthy and you can't keep your baby. It wasn't until I held 
my son in my arms that I really understood that he was the real person and that he was there. And suddenly, suddenly I just knew I would do anything. I would just do whatever they said. Um, suddenly I just knew like it wouldn't, whatever they said to do, I would just do it. Like they obviously knew better than I did. So, um, so at that point I, surrendered. I just like, you know, and, and then, and there was like, you know, divine intervention. So my family then knew what was going on. So all my shame was like shattered because everybody knew like, and everybody, um, and DHS stepped in and, and my family stepped up, my cousin and her husband, um, stepped up and took my son. And the deal was like, you will take him, and you get yourself into like a program or treatment or something. So, and so I was able to get into a treatment program for women with their children, with the um, agreement that, you know, if I did well, that after like a 30 day period, because he was a newborn, they would place him with me or something. Um, and so I just said, okay, I'll do it. Um, that said, I left the hospital without him. So he was with my family and I was a mess and I, so I, and I wasn't in treatment yet. I didn't know what to do. I had gotten like kind of dope sick in the hospital. I was just like, Oh, I don't know. So I had an appointment to meet with a, um, rehab intake person. Um, but at that point I really thought, you know, my son is probably better off with my cousin and her husband they're, they have their lives together. They're really good parents. Like he, I don't, I didn't think I was deserved to have him or was worthy enough to have, I thought I was like, I just didn't think I should, I didn't think I could do it. And I didn't think, and I thought that he deserved better than me. Um, so I probably, so I don't know given my state of mind at that point, if I would have really shown up and checked into rehab, I think I, um, but I was thankfully arrested, um, a few days later. Um, I had had a warrant for a drug charge from several years before, um, that I had just never dealt with. Um, and it was totally a divine intervention because just the timing of it and stuff. And so if I hadn't felt like a total failure already at that point, I did then sitting in a holding cell, realizing, you know, postpartum. Do you know my son, Catholicism on Instagram? Yeah. He went, he got, um, he got, we had to go turn him into jail. The sheriff called and, uh, Said your son has to be here by five, and uh, my wife called me, Connie. She was sobbing hysterical when she called me on the phone. So we went and picked up Brian, Catholicism. You know that song Desperado by the Eagles? Yeah, I, I put it on repeat all the way from <laughs> our house to the jail. And you know, he knew he had a warrant on him because that day. He asked me because he stay home from school to work with me. I'm usually having to beg him for help. So I let him stay home to go to work with me, and his phone was blowing up all day long. And they, you know, the police came to his high school and arrested all his friends. 
right there in the classroom, handcuffs and all. And so I turned them in and, and they said, you can't talk. You won't talk to him for 72 hours. Right. And these dudes were in there for carjacking that, that were in, you know, intake with them. Five mm -hmm. guys that did a carjacking. <laughs> then my son and his thug friends and all. When I finally saw him was in a court appearance and he was shackled, leg irons, wearing these sweats and walking like this. Then when we got him out of jail, he said, Dad, that was the most loser, lonesome feeling I've ever had in my life to be laying in that prison cell, not knowing what was going on, nothing. He said, I felt that that changed his life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you didn't like it. No. <laughs> no, I didn't like it either. Um, yeah. So I, um, so that was like, you know, when they're like, and then you, and then that was rock bottom. I've had a lot of rock bottoms. Like I can look, think back to, you know, a lot of different times where I've been like, that was rock bottom. But that really was in my heart. I just felt like I had just failed my son even more like then and and something shifted in me where i was like okay i i'm just gonna do whatever like i can't it it can't get any worse than this so i'll go like um so after i spent time there i had a, a court appearance and part of being released um and being given probation part of the reason that they did that was because i had a rehab um intake day scheduled. Otherwise, you know, I might've served more time. I'm not sure. Um, it, anyway, so I, um, so I, I had that over me. And so I ended up, I got into this rehab and it was a wonderful program for women with kids. And I am really grateful that I got in when I did because since then funding and things like that have shifted and that program doesn't exist in the same capacity that it did then. Um, and I, there was a problem with, I had a, the whole DHS system is overworked. And so my son was with my family and I, I think I was like 31 at the time, but I just felt like a teen mom or something. I didn't, I was like, you're going to, I'm going to be his parent, mom. Like you're going to put him with me. Like, are you mm -hmm. sure that's a good idea? Um, and so there was a delay and he didn't end up getting placed with me in the first 30 days, which is what they aim to do with newborns. But um, I was fine with that because I really, I needed that time just to sort of like get my head clear and be there. And so I was spent the first three months there with just having visits with him and he was with my family and that really established, you know, a bond for him with my cousin and her husband and their family. Um, but also gave me time to sort of like get my mind around what I was doing and, and what I was there for. And, and also for them to kind of like, I don't show me that like, no, you're, you're his mom and you're who he should be with. Um, and you can do it and we'll help you. And so everything that I needed, all of the things, like I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything. I hadn't prepared. I didn't have like a, 
I'd always thought someday when I had a kid that I'd have a perfect nursery and a perfect husband and it would be decorated and I'd have a cute baby shower and it would be all of the things. So this was so far from that, that I was like, I just didn't even know where to begin or how to start or do anything. But God, I was just so blessed because I, everybody just sort of stepped in and provided everything for me to be his mom. And so, you know, the most pro-life experiences that I could have had were all of these people kind of like stepping in and giving me every tool and support that I needed. Like, you know, through that program, I got classes about um, domestic violence and stuff. And I sort of started to realize like, oh, being held in hotel rooms and things like that. I was like, I wasn't free. I like was being um, totally abused. And, you know, I just started coming out of darkness and realizing like, oh, and I, I had tons and tons of shame because, you know, just a few years before I had been in really like high profile, like, I don't know, celebrity arenas with everything and just how far I had fallen. It seemed like I just, it's like, ugh. and I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't want anybody to know. So I just was like, kind of had my head down in rehab doing the thing. But when my son was placed with me, it was, I had gone into rehab in October. October. Um, and they had a thing where if you wanted to go on a spiritual path, you could go to church on Sundays. And there was like a four square church and everybody just, we just wanted to leave and get to go outside, you know, and do something. I know who they are. Yeah. So I went and I, I guess I really am a Catholic because I got there and I was like, I can't, this, I, felt like cringing. It just didn't feel right. It was like to, I, I don't know. I, so I ended up getting permission. I mean, I, there were nice aspects to it and the, like the, they definitely have fellowship down like they, um, and, but I, um, ended up going back to the rehab and saying, you know, I'm Catholic and I'm just wondering if I could have a spiritual pass to go to mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, sure. And so part of my motivation at that time was just like, I just wanted to go. But I always loved mass, even when I was a kid. I, I <laughs> always enjoyed it. And some of my earliest memories are sitting with my grandparents and loving it. And like I said, living with my mom and that sort of chaos, I kind of, when I was a kid, always wished that what we did, had more normal. What did you like about it? I think I just always felt like, you know, at home there. And, and it, or something was like a... Oh, you feel safe there or you had some family? Yeah, I felt safe there. I felt at home there. I felt like, I, you know, all the people in there felt normal to me. And just like, you know, compared to my, it just felt like a reprieve from, you know, even at a young age, I think in retrospect now, I'm like, well, I think I just didn't like being in like progressive woke. Portland like I think I just craved you know sort of like a normal family home life but I didn't even know what that was then so anyway I um so I started going to mass on Sundays and I could take my son with me um once he was placed with me and um and it felt so I got in in October and it took like three months. So it was just the very beginning of Advent when he was finally placed with me. And that's when I started going to mass too. And he ended up being, it was like a very, it felt like a Christmas miracle when he was finally was placed with me. And it like, 
I just had carts and carts of like baby clothes and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm really going to do it. And I ended up being in that program for about nine months. Um, and just learning how to do things, learning how to do things like if I was afraid to even give him a bath or things like that. I was afraid I was going to hurt him. Like, I don't know. Hey, I'm still like that. Yeah. So I just had to learn all that stuff. And got, excuse me, grandkids. I'm still all that stuff. Just, I'm scared to hold it back. My grandson, he's like two weeks, yeah. three weeks old today, three weeks old today. And I get nervous holding him. I know. I've seen you him. Know? He's so cute. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So um, anyway, I learned though, and it started to become sort of natural. And um, I... Sorry, I don't know what he's doing now. <laughs> um, anyway, so every every need that I had along the way, it was like, in retrospect, now I'm like, in choosing life, um, God just really made the way for us and opened every single door. So I didn't have anything at that point. I'd lost sort of everything. I'd been stripped of Every, you know, every vanity, every, everything had just, I'd been very humbled and like just put into a position of like, um, of just receiving, like, I can't do anything on my own. I need help in every way. Um, and so well, I. a good place to be in spiritually. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was good ground I, for. I ain't nobody. I messed up. I'm. Yeah. I'm, I'm a loser. Yes. I'm just help me, you know. Yeah. I need help. I I I effed everything up repeatedly, multiple yes. times. Never yes. learned my lessons. Yeah. I know the feeling. Yeah, totally. Well, because people are either like you know given faith from a young age and they stay there and that's great, but a lot of us need to be taken down to our knees um, by life to to get there. Um, I did for sure. Um, but I also started to notice, you know, like in retrospect, the different pieces in place, the things that were in place that, so my, my aunt that I had, who was a sister of St. Joseph, who I, so shortly after that, she passed away and, um, I, you know, I hadn't been super close with her. I mean, we'd met and stuff and, you know, I had a love or affection for her and stuff, but it was, I just, I don't know. But shortly after that, I started feeling really, really drawn to going to mass. At that point, I had sort of like, my son and I were kind of on our feet. I started working, my cousin has a a PR firm that I work for still actually. Um, and it kind of like propped me back up and got me back up on my feet and put me back into like, you know, a real world professional setting. And I kind of remembered what it was like to function normally and, you know, have a, um, so I just started to sort of like heal in these like practical ways of like, okay. And I was given, um, an apartment. Um, we just, yeah, we got a, (laughs) we we were blessed with um a subsidized apartment right away i think for the first like two years our rent was like 12 dollars a month um 
yeah. So, um, I, yeah. So we started kind of going, um, a couple of things happened. I met, um, so my aunt died and Raph's step grandmother, um, my cousin's stepmom's mom. Um, she was one of those people where during treatment, I could just feel her praying for me. She would say that. And she, you know, she, when Raph was first born, she, she, I think she baptized him herself because she was just worried. Um, I just saw a message saying proof. I don't know what she means by that. Um, in the live chat. I don't Maybe know. she wants to look at your portfolio from your fashion. Oh yeah, sure. Maybe I don't. Yeah, I could. I mostly just have pictures of me partying. There's pictures of me with some celebs. I don't know. Which, which, um, which one? <laughs> no. Um, I don't. I just, You're not gonna drop names, huh? No. Um, no. I don't think that's an important part of my story. I mean, there's part. I mean, it's fine, but I don't think it matters. It could have been. I could have been anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, and also those people are not LA and that world. Those are, that's a really dark world. Mm -hmm. I when I lived there, I was, that was another thing. Oh, so I, anyway, I felt drawn back to the church. I mean, I went back, I scheduled a confession and I started going, but I, I, that opened up a door of like serious, I had so much deliverance work to do um, because of the abortion, because of like, you know, frankly, in L.A., it's very satanic. I'd been to all kinds of things like, you know, the Magic Castle. I would frequent, um, which is a, it's the Magicians Association. Like, Matt, it's like you, um, you have to be invited to go there. And it's just like very like, I don't know. Um, it's just very dark world um and i went to one of the artist events that i went to in la it was like a performance art piece and it was this person recreating um a ritual from alistair crowley's um book of the law mm -hmm. um and he's a satanist obviously um and that was one of those moments that stood out because while I was there in LA, I was standing there with all those people and they were recreating, they were like calling upon demons. Um, and it was supposed to be a performance art, but I knew, I was like, no, I looked up through the crowd. It was an outdoor atrium and I saw a house across the street and a little boy in the window. And I remember even then, even in that world being like, this is not right. And I remember saying a prayer um, just a short prayer. I think I prayed to St. Michael or something. Um, and so when I first came back, I had like, I it took me like two years of doing a lot of deliverance work, just a lot of sludge to clean up, a lot of darkness and a lot of sludge and a lot of you, doors to close. Are you talking about like exorcism or are you talking about counseling? Or Yeah. Um, no, more like exorcism with mm -hmm. priests. Um, I didn't need a full exorcism, but we did a lot of deliverance work and a lot of, um, well, 
Yeah, sort of like, you know, this. are you familiar, like the St. Michael Center for Spiritual Renewal, how Monsignor Rossetti has been doing those like deliverance prayer sessions and stuff? I'm not real familiar with it. I, I might be, but I may have them confused with someone. Yeah, well, it's a great ministry they're doing because a lot of people have doors open or spirits on them that they don't even know. Yeah. Um, I didn't know, but I had like spirits of death on me from having an abortion. I had spirits of, you know, I um, just different things. I, I had to go through and make a list with my priest of every man I'd ever been with, cut and sever in the name of Jesus and like close every single thing we went through. So it took a, you know, it took a long time, but I just sort of became willing to do it. Um, and I was just sort of being guided. Um, at that time, I think I still didn't really understand or I hadn't felt the grief of the abortion that I'd had when I was young. Um, but I was invited to be part of a pro-life group. And so I just thought, okay, I didn't think anything of it really, but I went to the first meeting and they said, you know, we're going to start praying at this building outside with 40 days for life. And I thought, okay. So I went um, to the initial meeting and I thought, okay, I'll do this. And I was in the, that point I just was like, I'll just say yes to whatever I'm asked to, you know, that I, that sort of like willingness again. And when I got there to the first day, I realized that they were praying in front of the same building that I had had my abortion in when I was 19. Wow. And yeah. so I started praying there. Um, and that's what, and oh, another thing that I did was I went to a Rachel's Vineyard retreat after that um, for healing. Um, and so that helped. And so now cut to a few years later, I've been doing, um, sort of ministry because it, I became, it became clear how much the abortion had impacted me and, you know, how much just pain and, um, and also just the immense grief I had. I started to really grieve like that for my child and just feeling so, um, distraught. Um, but it took that long because it's such a wound. It's such a deep wound. And there's, and there's my little Raphael. I see you. <laughs> yeah. He's cute. Thanks. Yeah. Um, that is such a deep wound that I, you know, I think I'll still probably be healing from it for a long time. What happened to your show? You ate it. Um, and so now I'm working with other women doing, um, pro-life work. So I do sidewalk counseling and stuff like that, but we're actually working to open a Catholic maternity home here in Portland because mm -hmm. there's such a need. There's such a gap for it. Um, especially for women who there's some rehab models like the one I went to, but there are not very many places here for women who are just struggling with things like um, poverty or lack of support, um, who don't have the drug rehab element needed. I, or, um, so women who have like question abuse. For you. What's that? I have a question for you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Why does that woke liberal culture... No, One second. Hang on. No, no, no. I need you to be in the other room because I can't hear. Uh, I need something shady. Okay, go in your room under your bed. <laughs> What's their response to all the suffering, all that 
like all the victims of abortion, drugs, all this stuff you're talking about, do they not see the results of their agenda? Um, the need, the broken people, the... I didn't. I think when you're in that, for me anyway, I, I couldn't see. I was just blind because I was yeah. just in such darkness. It's like tunnel vision when you're in addiction or in like that kind of like, you just can't see. Um, so I just didn't have any idea. I didn't connect it. I just didn't, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and certainly I didn't know, you know, I went through a period of being like, just after I sort of realized, oh, abortion's wrong. And I killed my own child. Like after I realized that I went through a period of like, just hating myself. Mm -hmm. And then I went through a period that I'm probably still in of just being so angry. Um, so angry at all the lies that I was told that I believed and so angry that doctors and the people around me like co-signed that. And mm -hmm. really I'm angry at God too, because I couldn't understand how he could let me make that choice. Like I just felt so mad. Um, That's completely so, normal to feel that way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, when Jesus yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He I don't think he was giggling. Yeah, no. That, I don't think he said that with a, an affectionate smile. You know, yeah. to me it sounds like he's crying out that he feels abandoned. Yeah. my pre, One of my priests um, recently, actually, I, you know, I was talking to him about that and just having, like, anger, feeling like he's just like, God can take it. You can just be honest. You can just say, you know, if you feel like you hate God, you can just tell him he can, he, he can take it. And he knows your heart. Like he knows that's a prayer too. He said, if you didn't care, you would just be sort of apathetic if you didn't have that relationship with God or whatever, but you have an expectation of him. Yeah. If you didn't have that relationship, then you wouldn't have that anger directed towards him. Right. He yeah. wouldn't be the target. No. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that it's done is that it's lit a fire in me for other women, especially women who've had abortions, just because they feel like there's so much, it's, it, it's such a deep trauma. I learned during Rachel's Vineyard that it's so stuffed that most of us don't even know that we have that there. And it's, and maybe the initial feeling after an abortion, especially for women in abusive situations and things like that can just feel like relief because they feel like, oh, okay, now I can go about my life or finish whatever I'm doing or, you know, whatever I have. And, um, and really, um, that wound is there and it, it comes out in other ways even if we don't recognize it, but it's almost harder. It was sort of like when people are sick and they receive a diagnosis and it's like a relief. Once I realize, like, oh, I feel this horribly because I've had an abortion and like, that's a terrible wound and I've separated myself from God. And that's why it was like a relief because it was like, Oh, at least I knew that makes sense. Like I can make sense of things. So to understand that. Um, yeah. Anyway, so now we're just working to open this maternity home and I do sidewalk counseling and I still work and I'm a mom and that's where I'm at. You're doing good then. Who's your all patron? Right? Um, my, well, my confirmation saint was uh, St. Elizabeth of Hungary, hmm. um, 
which I think I just, my mom's name is Elizabeth and I'm pretty sure she had a hand in that. I don't remember why I chose her. Um, I had a little book of saints that my grandparents had given me and I liked, I thought she looked pretty, I think, or something, you know. Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Hungry, was she a, like help you gain weight or something? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just being. <laughs> yeah, but I have a Marian devotion um, and I, you know, and I, and I love the Franciscan saints and the Dominican saints. Um, I don't know. Yeah. 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 Your rosary every day. I do. I pray my rosary every day. For Lent, I'm praying also my um, my Seven Sorrows Chaplet rosary too. I've prayed that a couple of times. Yeah. Going through some real. I heard. You ever heard of Father Ripberger? Yeah. 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 I I was listening. I used to work for EWTN. And I was working the night shift. I had a lot going on. You know, I usually do have a lot going on. But, yeah. uh, you know, in the rosary where you're praying that Jesus is in the garden? Yeah. That, that's on Tuesday and... Friday. Tuesday and Friday, yeah. I mean, I'm like, man, I live... This is all... My whole life is the garden. You know, because I'm praying for people that's, that's in that moment of storm and trial yeah or like you were at rock bottom yeah nowhere to go yeah it felt like you're being pushed down further you know i just feel like that's my whole life yeah from birth till now so um so you pray your rosary and you pray the seven souls and i prayed it because father rittberger said no this prayer right here you better get ready because if you pray it with a sincere heart, there's no telling what God's going to do for you. And then that that next day, I did get a big answer to a prayer. So uh, yeah, um, I'm just. Do you do, you do the uh, scapula? Oh yeah, I wear a brown scapula. You yeah. got it on now. Yeah, I do. Well. Here it is. You got a starter kit, like a cap. There. <laughs> a I have a green one on there too. A green scapula, a brown See, I don't, this is all I have right here. This one has a little thing, it has a little pocket. So I have my St. Benedict medal, miraculous really? medal, things like that in there too. Have you ever seen that meme that, uh, where guy's scapula is, is showing? I think it's Batman's or somebody's scapula is showing. And uh, Batman punches him out and says, that's, no, he says, hey, man, your laundry tag is showing. And Batman punches him out and says, that's a scapula, moron. <laughs> Have you ever seen that meme? No. That's my meme. Oh. i two in my life. And uh, my son made that meme and it got a I just think it's a funny. I'm going to say that's a good one. Yeah. Doing that on Instagram. So, yeah. if I, when you, how how long did it take you like to turn the corner from when you really got into God and started going to confession and meeting with the priest? How long did it take you to come out? I think a couple of years because I went through like a period of like terrible scrupulosity too, and like yeah. um, at you know at first, so it, it like two. 
two years probably of pretty, of just kind of going through it and feeling like I've, you know, when I first started coming back, I started realizing, but I started like doing all of the things, but not really taking it into my heart. So I was like doing all the things and just sort of waiting for it to kind of like work or something. Like, I don't know, you know, like I just like, I knew that I wanted God and I, and I believed in it and I had faith. And so I was doing the things in faith, but I wasn't really feeling like relief in my heart for, you know, for a while. It took me a while to kind of like internalize it and also to believe that I was forgiven. Like I understood cognitively that I was, Mm -hmm. but I didn't really believe it. Um, And that's sort of like a sort of a pride too, of like not really trusting in God you know mm-hmm. mercy right um so that's that took me a long time i mean it's still every once in a while i'm like oh, oh. but um but it, the wholeness <laughs> like sort of can't, can't like you know certain parts of myself that have been sort of like fractured apart started coming and started began began feeling more whole i think it probably took maybe even close to three years mm-hmm. yeah What's that? It's a journey. Yeah, I know. Oh, it never stops. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, it don't ever stop because I'm, God, I'm 60. And it's like, I feel like such a screw up on every, I mean, everything that I'm like, I was thinking about, you know, Lent started this week and I was thinking, why bother? You know, I'm going to screw Lent up because I'm, I'm waiting to go to Ash Wednesday, right? And I'm doing perfect. And I, from somewhere, there's a, y'all have Krispy Kreme donuts out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. No, it's Dunkin' Donuts. Okay, yeah, we have that too. Donuts, yeah. I mean, I looked on the counter and there's a box. It's just like a Dunkin' Donuts. I wasn't even thinking. I opened it up and I saw one of those cream-filled donuts. Yeah. I inhaled it. I mean... I ate it. Then I felt, I was like, wait a minute. That's not a whole meal. I'm good. It's not not meat. I'm good. But I just, I don't know, man. I blow lint. The worst lint I ever had. The worst ones I've had are the ones where I tried the hardest to, to really, and I just, I blow it. Yeah, I think my first year where I was like really trying to be serious about it, like I like went, I went way too overboard. I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to eat any sugar. I quit coffee and I was like, just (laughs) every, I would completely fall on my face at least like once a week and just be like, ah, and then try and then feel shame and then try to get Mm -hmm. it back together and stuff. But I realized a lot of the stuff I was doing wasn't really, it's not like it was getting me closer to God. I was just trying to be controlling. Like I was just controlling things even more. So that's been, well, I've had to I'm, learn how to lighten up a little bit some things. I'm giving up politics and news. Not that I'm not a, I'm not a political junkie, but I am, you know, I keep up with what's going on and I get so mad and I mean, I get, I've gone to confession. I mean, I, one time I went to confession because I hated Hillary Clinton so bad. I, yeah. And I went to confession and I told the priest, I hate her. And he, he started laughing through his nose. I mean, he really went, <coughs> he, started, he started snort laughing. <laughs> then when he quit laughing, 
He's well, we dodged a bullet last night because it was the day after the election. Yeah. And the priest, man, he's starting to go to town with me. You know, he's jumping on the crooked Hillary train. I mean, he's right there in the booth, hanging it on. I'm like, I'm not coming back to this priest again because I just get him stirred up. And so I went to another priest, and then the priest starts confessing to me, right? Because I got, I got to telling on myself about something that was struck, uh, I was struggling with. And he was like, yeah, me too. And he starts giving me his stuff. So I put him on my list. You can't go see this priest or this priest anymore because I'm bad influence on them. Because I was going <laughs> my bad sins and that. Like, well, you too? You know? So uh, how often do you go to confession? Um, I usually end up being in there probably once every two or three weeks. Yeah. So you're yeah. a frequent flyer. Yeah. I don't. A regular. Yeah. I'm always like, I'm just going to go once a month. But, you know, if if it's, if something comes up and it's bugging me, I'll go. Yeah. That's when, yeah. no matter what it is, if it's bothering you, you need to go. Even, yeah. You know, I've had priests. I've had bishops when I went to confessional or something was really bothering me. Just like, ah, it's, it's nothing. Literally say that. It's nothing. Yeah. I've then, definitely had priests be like, that's not a sin. Like, just because yeah. you feel bad about something. It's I've had priests laugh at yeah. me. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You're, I had one tell me to, not to waste his time in again. Don't <laughs> me, really? I mean, I'm paraphrasing him, but he basically said, don't bring your ass in here again with all this venial stuff. You come to my confession for mortals only. Only. Mm -hmm. He fussed at me. So I've only been fussed at a couple of times by uh, priests. You know, I don't mean lectured. I've heard of people having bad experiences. I've never had a bad experience. I had a vision, a dream once that I'll share sometime, but uh, do you like going face to face, or do you like going behind the the screen? I don't. Either way is fine. Do you ever work or looking at you through them little holes? I I kind of prefer face to face, but I go however. I just that would be tough if I was a female going to a, a male priest face to face. I don't. If it was like a, a lady priest, I. I can do it. Go confession. There's a female priest face to face, and you're like, you know, I I can't say this to you. So I've heard women say that. I guess I have too. I don't. I prefer face to face, but probably because I like I I end up talking to them like they're a therapist or something. <laughs> think, you know, have you ever seen Father Leonard on EWTN? Mm -mm. Big husky. Power I, kind of Mexican American looking. I don't he, think so. He does math, but I, I feel with him face to face, like cause it it turns into a conversation and therapy, and you forget you're in confession. Yeah, like that. Like yeah. 
which I've heard is actually not really like it's better just to use it for what it is, which is the sacrament of confession and and to schedule separate spiritual direction, which is what I've tried to do now. So now I try to like I try to take advantage of the times that it's offered in the confessional instead so, because there was a while where I was very needy and I was like, can you meet with me now? And can you meet me with me now? And I was always scheduling special appointments for myself. Well, um, yeah. Well, look, it's nice chatting with you. I know Ralph, he wants his mom back. But uh, anyhow. Um, Thanks people... so much for talking with me. Yeah, I, I wanted to hear your story. Um, you're on Instagram. I met you through another guest. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I don't do anything with my Instagram. I'm just on there lurking. I know because <laughs> I, for work, I do clients' social media. And so I don't. And then when it comes to my own, I'm like, I don't. I don't know. Okay, you had Viva, Viva Cristo. You had, uh, what happened? I got a screen name by your model mixed yeah. up with you. And I was actually talking to the other person that has your model as her name. And I thought it, and I found out it, it was, I was worried you were going to thinking that you were thinking I was talking to you, but I was talking to someone else that had, Anyhow, I thought that uh, I thought you were someone else when I commented. Oh, <laughs> no wonder. I was like, I don't know. Okay, here I am. Okay, but I'm glad to meet you. And mm. Graham, can you be like, are you going to be sharing any of these things on Instagram, or is that just? Yeah, for any of it is. I don't. Nothing. It's all an open book. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, good to meet you. Nice you appointment you got to get to, okay? Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Right. We'll see you next time. Bye. Okay. Bye, Bye Ralphie. <laughs>